beginning with verse 23, says, Now it happened in the process of time that the king of Egypt died. Then the children of Israel groaned because of the bondage. And they cried out. And their cry came up to God. Just have one little simple thought that I want to give us today. Just one little seed to plant in each one of our hearts and minds today. And it's simply this. If you don't remember anything else, remember this one line here today. We were made for more than this. We were made for more than this. For many of us at one time or another, I'm sure we have felt like we were living uh, a less than fulfilled life. We've all been through those seasons. We've been, all been through those moments. Uh, act exasperation when dreams don't seem to come to pass. Or moments, moments when we've, when we've made that statement that I think all of us at one time or another have made. There's got to be more to life than this. So many people are living their lives on what seems to be a treadmill. They're running and they're straining and they're, they're striving and they're sweating and they're, and they're showing many signs of fatigue, but they're not going anywhere. They just keep running what seems like running in the same place. In those moments in our lives, when we hear that scripture, that famous scripture that we are more than conquerors, in those moments, we don't really feel like a conqueror at all because That kind of scripture, when we hear that, it kind of sounds hollow at times in our lives because we don't feel like a conqueror when we're saddled down by debt. It's hard to have a conqueror's spirit when you're working on a dead-end job. Nobody feels like a conqueror when their marriage is is dissatisfying and they they can't seem to find any kind of common ground or or a way to talk to one another or, or find solutions or work toward good ends. You don't feel like a conqueror when you're when you're fighting a reoccurring illness or disease in our lives. In these kind of moments, we don't feel like a conqueror at all. Doesn't mean that we're not. Doesn't mean that we're not more than a conqueror. That's what the word tells us. But in those moments, it doesn't feel like that. What I want us all to realize today is that sometimes we have to adjust our feelings to the facts. Sometimes we just have to let the fact and the truth of God's word to override whatever our emotions and our feelings are telling us at the time. No one feels like a conqueror. When depression begins to set in, you don't feel like a conqueror when people are saying all kinds of negative and even sometimes false things about you. We don't feel so much like a conqueror in those seasons of just trying to keep our nose above the surface of the water without going under. Maybe you've not ever been there. You probably you've never been in that kind of place and moment in your life. And if you have not ever experienced that, you probably don't know how how deep and weighty. The pressure can be sometimes how 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 that thing continues to just kind of hold you down and press you down and you feel like you can't even catch a breath sometimes. This is the way that I'm sure the Israelites felt in this moment in time in this text as they were going through their their daily routine as slaves in Egypt. They went from being these co-inhabitants and these invited guests of the Egyptians. They went from being from being partners and, and fellow citizens to ultimately becoming slaves to these Egyptians. Long gone were the days where they were praised for being a part of Joseph's lineage, 
Joseph was the one that we all know that the Egyptians considered him to be their savior. You know, he's the one who who had dreams and and was able to foretell these things, uh, 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 see these things, and, and and forecast things for the future, and begin to begin to develop a plan for posterity for not only the Egyptians but for his family as well. And and when they first came to to Egypt, everyone was thrilled to have Joseph's family there. It was a blessing to have Joseph's family around. But in time, in time, the people they thought were their friends, these Egyptians, this foreign land who they thought were their friends, get gradually began to change on them. And this scripture that I just read says that this king, this Pharaoh, he died. And there arose a new king. And, and, and the new king didn't, had not lived through the battles of the former kings. This new king, he didn't feel all the warm and fuzzy feelings toward Joseph and his family that the other kings had. In time, Joseph actually had died and now, now his descendants are there. And the people who had been their friends began to turn into their enemies. And not only enemies, but these Egyptians began to oppress them. This is how generational afflictions can happen in our lives today. Once a generation resigns itself to this limited or this or this lower type of existence, then there's a new low normal and for all of those who follow behind, they they begin to adapt to that new low normal. When one when one person accepts a new low standard, many times their children will begin to accept an even lower standard than what they had accepted. They may have a reason why they accepted the low standard that they did, but now the next generation, the next generation just doesn't know how to set their sights on anything higher. They don't know how to look beyond the place that they are. And they can't, they can't open their hearts and their minds or their eyes to see the possibility of what could be. Some of us in this room today, I'm one of them, comes from a, a long line of, of ministers and, and Christians and, and strong, godly people. And these are the ones who have, who have paved the way for us. But some of us today, some of us have come from a long line of alcoholics and addicts and abusers and, and, and the impoverished. And they also have paved a way for us. Every one of us have arrived here today walking on the road that someone else ultimately paved for us, whether it was a beautiful road or whether it was a sorrowful road. But I want to give every one of us in this room, no one is exempt from this word. I want to let every one of us know that you can have and do have hope today, that our lives can be better than we ever thought that it could be, that there can be a future that's better than anything that we ever imagined. It doesn't matter what your past was. It doesn't matter what your lineage is or what your heritage is. It does not matter. It can be better than you ever imagined that it could be. If we'll just open our hearts a little bit today, we might be able to embrace God's word that reminds us that guess what? Depression doesn't last forever. It's not meant to last always. I, I want to remind us all today that things can and things do get better. That we were made for more than this. Picking back up in Exodus 2, 23, it says, Now it happened in the, 
in the process of time that the king of Egypt died, then the children of Israel groaned because of the bondage, and they cried out. They cried out, and their cry came up to God. I want to encourage every one of us to have the strength and the courage and the humility to be willing to and ready to cry out to God. We've got to learn how to break out of that shell of toughness and that shell of self-sufficiency that it seems like we live with and cry out to him. It's not a sign of weakness to say, Lord Jesus, I need you. I love the song that we sang for years and we've incorporated it into some of our modern worship where we simply say, I need thee. Oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee, oh bless me now, my Savior, I come to thee, I need you. And we cry out to him. And when we can humble ourselves enough to do this, there's something beautiful, there's something magical against to happen. In verse 24 it says, so God heard their groaning. God heard their cry. I'm so thankful today that we serve a God who hears us when we cry out to Him. He hasn't closed the door or the windows of heaven. He has an open ear and an open heart to receive and hear when we cry out to Him. And God remembered His covenant. He remembered His covenant in verse 24 with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel and God acknowledged them. Can I just encourage every one of us in this room today? Can I just encourage us that God is always working on our behalf? It doesn't matter how you feel. It doesn't matter what the circumstances or the situation is saying. It doesn't matter what the doctor's report is. It doesn't matter what the checkbook says. It doesn't matter what my health feels like today. God is always working on our behalf, even when we don't know what's going on. While the Israelites were crying out to God in this moment, they had no idea that Moses was on the backside of the desert in this very moment and he was talking to God. He was having a conversation with God about the deliverance of the children of Israel. But the children of Israel didn't know that this conversation and this dialogue was going on. I just can't help but believe that there is somebody right now that's calling out your name to the Lord. There's a conversation going on somewhere about you. And I can tell you this. You may have walked in here today and feel like there's nobody that cares about me. There's nobody praying for me right now. I want to tell you something. Everybody that walked on these premises today, you were prayed over before you got here. We might not, we might not have known your name, but we pray, God, every person that walks on these premises, may they have an encounter with you. May there be a change that takes place in their life. Uh, we don't care if they're impressed with our music. We certainly don't care if they're impressed with our preacher. But we want them to have an encounter with you because we know that moment that Daddy talked about this morning will change everything forever. God is working on our behalf. There's been words spoken about you. Prayers and and words and conversations of deliverance for provision, for healing. And it hasn't shown up yet, but the conversation's taking place. There's a conversation happening on the backside of the desert about you. You feel like you're in bondage right now. You feel like there's no hope right now. But God is talking about you. God's got a plan for you. I feel like I want to close already and just shout a little bit today. I'm simply wanting to remind all of us today that there is a God and He's still alive and He deals, still deals with the affairs of mankind and He hears our voice and He sees us and He knows us. He knows you. He knows you. And He wants us to know that we such aid for more than this.
when there was such dissatisfaction of being in a place that could no longer be tolerated, someone, somewhere realized, surely, surely I was made for something more than this. And change began to come. Change began to happen. You know when change happens? Can I just tell us when change happens? Change happens when the pain of staying the same becomes greater than the pain of changing. I would say I'm going to repeat that again, but Keisha Hutto would pick on me. So I'm not, she, she always nudges Paul and says, he's going to say that again, and then I'll say, I'm going to say it again. So I'm not saying it again today, but I will say this. It's our human nature. It is our human nature. Many of us, we all have this aversion to change, don't we? We hate change. We don't like change. We like things the way we like things, and we want things to stay the same. We want to keep it in our little box. But when it gets too painful, when it gets too painful to stay a certain way, when, I, when I'm fed up with the way things are, and I know things can be better, when it gets, when it gets too painful to stay that way, I'm, I'm going to tell you something. I will find a way. You will find a way. We'll work a way out, and we will change when the pain of staying the same is, becomes greater than the pain of changing. That's what happened with the Israelites. They had taken this oppression. They had been beat down. They had been, they had been oppressed, and they had taken it, and they had taken it, and they had taken it. And it got heavier and heavier. And finally, they went to the king, and they said, we want to worship our God. Well, we want to worship. And Pharaoh's response to them was this. If you've got time to worship and you've got energy to worship your God, then you've got time and energy to make your own bricks. So now they're not only building the pyramids for Egypt, now they're having to make the bricks to build the pyramids. He just put more oppression on them. He put more workload on them. And as they were building all those pyramids and mighty structures for Egypt, all the Israelites, they began to come together. They began to have some conversations with one another. And the pain, the pain of where they were began to well up. And the pain of where they were became greater than the, than the pain of realizing that something has got to change. And in that moment of realizing something's got to give, something's got to change, they began to cry out. And God heard the cries of his people. You see, God had a plan for them all along. God had a plan before they even went into bondage. And it was a, it was a plan. His plan was for them to lead of us well in a promised land, a blessed land, a land that flowed with milk and honey. I think many of us today can say that we don't feel like we're munching on milk and honey today. Sometimes we don't feel like we're in the land of joy and prosperity. And they found themselves in this place. I, I really wish I knew who it was. I, I really wish I knew who the first individual was who finally just said, I am sick and tired of being sick and tired. I, I wish I could be a fly on the wall in that living room when there was that one who put up his hands and said, enough is enough. I'm not listening to this anymore. I'm not being oppressed by this anymore. Maybe it was one of those Hebrew slaves who came in one more evening with a broken and a bruised and a bloodied back. And as he laid across that chair and, and, and watched his children as they looked at their daddy with big eyes. And they watched their mother begin to put ointment on the back of, and of, of their bloody back of their dad. 
it seems like maybe there was this moment where that Hebrew slave was sitting there and he was lying there with gritted teeth and he was saying, son, you were made for more than this. You weren't created to live this way. This is not who you are. Can I just tell you that sometimes we just got to get sick and tired of being sick and tired. We we just got to get tired of whatever situation we're in. We've got to just get fed up with this current affliction or whatever it is. If it's depression, if it's oppression, whatever it may be. And we got to say to ourselves, surely I was made for something better than this. Surely this isn't the way it all ends. I was made for more than this. I was made to be an overcomer. But how can I be an overcomer when I can't even pay my bills? How am I an overcomer when the job keeps fizzling out one after the other? How am I an overcomer when there's a lack of fulfillment and joy in my life? How am I an overcomer when it seems like in our marriage we just keep hitting a brick wall? How am I an overcomer when my kids are strung out on drugs and every kind of bad thing is happening in their lives? I don't feel like an overcomer at this moment. I don't feel like an overcomer. But I want to bring us some hope this morning. The first thing we all need to recognize, no matter what place of life we are at, that God has a plan for each of us. I didn't say God has a plan for all of us. He does. But he has a plan for each of us. He has a plan for us. The God that spoke the world into existence. He has a plan. And he has a plan for you. I'm not speaking to 300 people today. I'm speaking to you and you and me. And here's his plan. Most of us can quote it together. It's that famous, famous scripture that we all quote together. Here's his plan, Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the thoughts. Another version says, I know the plans. I know the plans that I think towards you, says the Lord. They are thoughts. They are plans of peace and not of evil. Plans to give you a future and a hope. I'm going to tell you, it doesn't get any clearer than that. That's God's plan for you. He has a plan for you. He, has a, he wants to prosper you. He has a plan to give you a future. He has a plan to give you a hope. God sees a future in you when you don't see a future in you. God has hope for us when we don't have hope for us. So the question is, is how do we get there? How, how do we get there? How do we cross that great abyss between, between how we feel and what we know is truth? And God's plan for our lives. We have to begin by believing it. We have to begin by believing this. We have to believe it in our hearts. It can't just be lip service. It can't just be the thing we say on Sundays. It can't just be the thing we amen the preacher on. We've got to get it. It's got to sink down deep in our heart. In the core of who we are. And say I believe this no matter how I feel. We have to believe that we were made for more than this. Whatever this is. We were made for more than this. If we're sitting here today, and many of us are, I hope, and you're on the mountaintop, and you're experiencing the abundant blessings of God, and and it's raining down blessings in your life, I pray and I hope that it is. And maybe you're here today and you're blessed beyond measure, more than you could ever imagine. I pray and I hope that you are. 
I want, but I want to remind us what Ephesians 3.20 says. It tells us that He is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all, more than we could ever even ask or think. So you may be in a good place today, but let's not get stagnant there. Let's not get satisfied there. Let's not become a, let's not become a stale, stagnant pool at that place. Let's realize and adopt, and adopt the idea and the concept and the Word of God that there is more for you than where you are today. We were made for more than this. You may be on the mountaintop, but for some of us in this room today, you may be on the bottom right now. You may not know if you have enough gas in your car to get home today. You're waiting on the doctor report that you have no idea what it's going to say or what it's going to look like. And you're hearing the C word in your heart and in your mind over and over again. Even if you're in that place, even if you're in a place of depression and oppression today, I want to remind you today that you were made for more than this. This is not what God intended us, intended for us to have at the ending of our lives. So the next thing we have to do is we have to, we have to find a weird plan for our life. That's a, that sounds like a, that sounds kind of like a weird thing to say. I gotta find the plan of God for my life. Can I just say this? God's not playing tricks with his children. He's not dangling his plan out there saying, well, I hope they find the secret formula to finally tap into my plan. He's not playing hide and seek with his plan. It's not a, it's not a, uh, it's not a riddle that he's putting out there and say, well, if you get it, then you'll finally be in my plan. That's not how it works. It's not that complicated. I hear people say all the time, oh, I just want to be in the plan of God. I just want to be in the will of God. And and they frustrate themselves and they they work themselves up in this crazy frenzy wanting to know, am I ever going to be in the plan of God? What does God want me to do? What's the plan of God? It's not that complicated. It's It's not that hard. God's not playing tricks with anybody. The best analogy I could come up with, and it's, it's a simple one and it's, it's kind of dumb, but it's the best one I could come up with. I don't know how many of you have ever, if you're like me, I am tethered to my phone. Is anybody, I, I bet ever, who in here has your phone on you right now? Raise your hand. Be honest. You got your, thank you very much. Thank you for your honesty. We, they are our lifeline, aren't they? I mean, like, I can literally, and I can leave in a frenzy, and I can get a mile down the road from my house, and all of a sudden I'm reaching for my phone. And if it ain't in there, it's like I don't have pants on. I mean, like, I've got, I got to get back to the house. I got to find that phone because it's my lifeline. I'm, it's my lifeline. And I don't know if you've ever had this moment, but I've had it many, many, many times. I'm getting ready to leave the house. I got to go somewhere, and I'm looking for my phone. I have lost my phone, and I'm looking everywhere for it. I'm, I'm tearing up couches and cushions and te- ripping sheets off beds and looking under stuff. And I mean, I am tearing the house apart looking for that phone because I can't leave the house. I don't care how late I am, I can't leave the house if I don't have that device in my pocket. So I'm looking for it, and I'm looking for it, and I finally tell somebody, I cannot find my phone anywhere. And about that time, the voice on the other end of the phone says, Kevin, you're talking on your phone to me. I'm sorry, but that's the best analogy I could give. We spend our lives searching and looking and working, working ourselves up. What's the plan of God for me? Where's God? Where's God in all of this? And all the while, His plan is in us. He has a plan for us. The reason we're missing the plan is because we're just so caught up and we're so distracted and we're so worried about everything else, realizing that His plan, we're actually, His plan is being utilized in our life as we speak. But we don't feel that way. 
He has a plan. The secret to discovering God's plan is found in Proverbs 3, 5. And all trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct your paths. This is the plan of God for us. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. The Word of God is true and He will not and He will never lead us astray. We say we trust Him. We give lip service to it, but we have to put our feet where our mouth is and we have to trust Him. If we say we trust Him, that means we have to pick up one foot and put it in front of the other and we have to start walking in the plan of God and we do it by faith. We just have to say, God, I don't know I don't know how all this is going to work out. I don't know what tomorrow is going to look like or feel like, but I'm trusting you today. I'm trusting you in this moment, and I'm going to walk this thing out. The text says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. All your heart. I researched this in the Hebrew. In the original text in the Hebrew, all means all. I did a lot of research. All means all. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. This means we don't hold back on our dreams that God has placed in our hearts and things that we don't back up from the challenges that are in front of us. We just keep walking and we keep stepping out in faith. Faith, trusting God is taking a step of faith. We talk about it, but we've got to walk it out. We'll sometimes make the statement like, well, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to miss what God, I, 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 I don't know what God wants me to do. I, I don't want to make a mistake. Well, guess what? If I get out and I start walking and I walk the wrong way, guess what I did? I made a mistake. Big flipping deal. Has anybody in the room ever made a mistake before? Guess what? Newsflash, you're going to make some more. We might as well make a mistake trying to follow after and trust God with all of our heart. So just step out and walk. You make a mistake, what do we do? What do we do? We turn around and we walk the other way. It's not that hard. It's not that complicated. We walk this thing out. If I go the wrong way, I'll just turn around and go the other way. But what if? What if you step out by faith? And what if you walk the right way? (laughs) What if you just happen to fall right in alignment with what God is saying and what God is doing? What if you just happen to step out by faith when you don't feel like it, when everything in your life, every circumstance is telling you not to, and you just step out by faith and you begin to walk in the perfect design of God? What if you stop? What if you just step right into what God has called you to do? Trust in the Lord. We were made for more than this. Trusting God with all of our hearts means we just take the step, one step, and then the next step, and we just say, okay, God, here goes. Whatever you want to do. Let me remind us all of what Jesus said about trusting God. Luke 12, 24, he said, consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which have neither storehouse nor barn, and God, God feeds them of how much more value are you than the birds. We can trust Him. You can trust Him. We are more valuable to Him than the birds. We can trust Him. We were made for more than this. Some of us will say that it costs too much to trust. 
I have to sacrifice too much to trust. My only response to that is that it, it will cost so much more if I don't trust. It will cost so much more if I choose not to trust. So many of God's people are dealing today with depression and heaviness of, of soul and, and oppression of spirit in their lives. But we were made for more than this. One Hebrew was saying to the other hero, Hebrew while hauling those bricks, they were saying, you were made. You were made for more. This God cares deeply for each one of us individually in this room. He cares deeply about our individual needs in our lives. So we have to trust Him and His Word and step out in His Word. We trust Him as we take that first step by faith. Then we may make the statement, I don't know if this is right. That's why the next part of the verse is there. Lean not on your own understanding. Don't trust in your own understanding. It's faith to step out when we don't know. Lean not on your own understanding. Our understanding is the lens through which we see. And that lens has been shaped by our nature and by how we've been nurtured. Those two things, our nature and how we've been nurtured, these are the two things that have shaped the lens through which we see. But God sees through a different set of lens. God sees our life differently than what we, how we see our lives. He doesn't look through the same lens that we look through because He looks through the lens. He looks through a lens that is shaped by His design for our life. Not our, not our finite minds. We see through the eyes of one who was born into sin. But he sees through the eyes of one who died for the sinner. We see, we see as one who is guilty. But, but he sees as one who has already paid the price. Who has already paid it all. Our perspective in that moment is different than his. Because his is eternal. While ours is momentary. Because we are bound as slaves to this moment. To this current moment, this situation, this circumstance. I'm closing. I should have been closing ten minutes ago, but I'm really closing. Next, in Proverbs 3, it says, In all your ways, acknowledge Him or submit to Him. Submit to Him. Our spirit, our mind, our body, our dreams, our resources, our problems, the negatives, the positives, all of it. In all of your ways, submit it all to Him. Submit to Him the things that are going good. And submit to Him the things that are going bad. We're good with offering up the bad stuff in our life. God, you see what's going on in my life? Come take this bad stuff away. Come fix these problems in my life. We're, we're oftentimes guilty of submitting the bad things to Him while holding on to the good stuff. But see, His idea of good is beyond our idea of good. I, I, I may be trying to curse something that I label as bad, and God's calling it good because He's working all things together for good in my life. And I'm holding on to the good things. Oh, thank you, God. I want to hold on to this good stuff in my life. And God sometimes is saying, I didn't really call that good. You labeled that good. I didn't. I may want to take that good thing out of your life because I got something better for you. And as long as you're holding on to the good, you're not going to have the better in all of your ways. Submit to Him. So we turn our life over to God and His Word and His plan for our life will then begin to come clear, become clearer. We were made for more than this. What we may have going on right now is not the end of it all. 
our thoughts, our plans, our habits, our practices, everything we have, we turn it all over to Him. What we do with our money, we turn it over to God. What we do with how we deal with other people, we turn it over to God. How we deal with problems and situations, we turn it all over to God. And when we do that, once we've come to the place where we say, God, I trust you. I trust you. No matter how I feel, I trust you. Once we come to that point where we're saying, I'm no longer leaning on my understanding. I'm not looking to my intellect anymore. And now I've submitted all of my ways to him. Then he will direct our paths. Then and only then will he begin to make our paths straight. Scripture tells us that when John the Baptist was declaring the coming of Jesus, that there is one who is coming after me and he will make straight the crooked paths and he will lower uh, the the high things and, and he will raise the low things. He said he'll make the path accessible. That's what Jesus did. That that great divide, that great wall that seemed like it separated humanity from deity, that's what Jesus did. He paid it all so that he could he could make the crooked path straight. So that now we have we have direct, straight access into the throne of God. We can go straight to God. He has made the path straight and he's made the path accessible. He wants to take the he wants to take the crooked paths and the the twisted roads and the dead ends, and he wants to turn it all around in our lives. I believe what God wants to do for us is that he wants to illuminate our path. Psalm 119 and 105, it says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. There's probably not anything more comforting than a flashlight when you're out in a dark and a lonely place. See, the flashlight doesn't actually fix anything, but it helps you to know where to put your feet. It helps you to know where to make the next step. It doesn't get me out of the woods. It's not a compass. It's not going to take me anywhere. But it it, it tells me where to go next. And we we shine it on our pathway. And as long as there is light on the path, I don't have to take a step in darkness. He's a light into my path. If we submit to God, if we submit to God's plan, if we believe that He then begins to illuminate our path, then it takes great faith on our part to believe that and then take the step. We were made for more than this. Would you stand with me today across this room? There's three little simple truths that I want you to remember when you leave today. You already know these things. I think everybody that walked into this room today, you already know this. But maybe today... On this April 28th, 2019, there was something about this day where you just needed to hear it one more time. You needed to be reminded one more time, and that's this. It's simple. It can't become our Christian cliche. We've got to embrace it, and we've got to get it deep in our spirit. And it's simply this. God is for you. God is for you. If God wanted you dead... Guess where you'd be right now? You'd be in a grave. But guess what? He didn't. God is for you. He's not against you. The second thing is this. God's plan is for you. God's plan 
is for you. You don't have to fight for it. You don't have to go looking for it. It's not hide and seek. It's not a trick. His plan is for you. His plan is pursuing you. His plan is in you and in me. So God is for us. His plan is for us. And let me just tell you something else in case you didn't know this before you came in here today. I don't know what kind of church background you've had. I know a lot of people have been damaged in churches. I get it. And, and I, I know all that is. It's not the church's fault. It's just people are people. People are human. There's human beings in this room today. I will hurt you if you give me enough time. I'll hurt your feelings at some point if we get close enough. It's, it happens. I know there's been bad situations, but I want to tell you about the church of the living God. And all I can speak for today is life, church. I can't speak for anybody else. But I want to tell you, not only is God for you, and not only is his plan for you, but this church is for you. This church is for you. You might have fallen 5,000 times. As long as you can just pick yourself back up again, or you can just cry out to one of these people that's in this room and cry out and say, I need some help today. There's going to be people without judgment, without condemnation, without shame. is going to come and put their arms under you and lift you up for the 5,001 time. It's not even a way to say that, but the church is for you. Your church is for you. God is for you. God's plan is for you. This church is for you. So if God is for you, and his plan is for you. And this church is for you. How in the world, how in the world can we not move to the next place that God has for each one of us in our lives? We were made for more than this. Let's worship the Lord together today. and the eternal word of the Lord went forth today. One question before we go home. Are you glad that you came today? Amen. Brother Glenn Mahan, I want you to come and pray over us before we go. Part of that prayer was that we will not forget 
what the Lord has spoken to us on this beautiful morning. Amen. God bless you. We're so glad again, so glad that you were here with us. Father, again, you've reminded us what we should have known, but being human, we forget so quickly and so easily. You've told us in your word that we should take the more earnest heed unto the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. I pray a blessing on this people, upon the leadership of this church, that they would continue to walk in your counsel. God, as we give thanksgiving for your guidance, we go, as we have heard, in the name of Jesus, believing that we are in the will of God and the purpose of God is evolving in our life every day. Thank you again. We commit each one of these members into your hands. In the name of Jesus, amen and amen and amen. Amen.